0: dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23, follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, Mister Blue, Blue Check verify himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother?
1: Hey man, Wakanda forever. Don't think hey, I forgot. Always. Don't think I forgot. It's always. Been a couple bro. of weeks. But see, <laughs>
0: what I told people last time is so true. There's gonna be like eighteen Wakanda references in every podcast. It's crazy, man. Seriously. Um, Seriously. Man, but I gotta tell you, I'm excited for our next PTM tour stop coming to the D, Dallas, Texas. Where Dallas at, man? Where Dallas at? the weekend of april so lit i can't wait it's nuts man they're already getting ready i'm telling you one of somebody in the ptm group was like um yo shout out to daniel he was like man i think we have one of the biggest like past the mic fan base or listener bases and you do (laughs) like you do it's just the actual facts are you do so oh they're challenging every other city so we're gonna have to see Yeah, it's kind of between Dallas, Atlanta, a few other cities that are really kind of up at the top. So shout out to everyone who listens on a weekly basis, especially Dallas, the weekend of April 6th and 7th. You can follow us online on Twitter at underscore Pastor Mike and at The Witness BCC for more information coming very, very soon. But you already know we're going to be there at those dates. So set aside your time. Set aside your Wakandan coins and all your your gear because we definitely somebody actually asked me if we could watch the movie together and I probably should, <laughs> I probably should have told you that before we recorded before I said it online because people are gonna be like yes let's watch the movie again together and that's what's up I say I'm kind of down I mean we you know exactly yeah. <laughs> we might we might record
1: the podcast on a different topic but you know I'm always down for going to see Black Panther I'm at three times
0: and counting I got to get my game up. Man, bro, I'm only two, so I haven't had the chance to go see it again. So I'm, I feel Come like on, completely deficient because I said I was going to see it. It's eight your times. birthright. It's your birthright. <sighs> man, you're right. You're right. Now, Jamar, I gotta say, I got some things on my mind. Right? You know, oh boy. all right. When we think about what we're going to talk about in these episodes, there's so much that we can discuss. There's so much in the culture that we can bring out, but you know, we hope that we're not looking just for the low hanging fruit, but we're pushing the conversation a little bit in ways that are going to encourage people. And this past week, I was reading a report from the Washington Post, and I'll kind of get your thoughts on this, Jamar. But the report said this, no progress for African-Americans on homeownership, unemployment, and incarceration in 50 years. And I heard a number of people talk about it, and I decided to check it out, and it was just as discouraging as the headline, if not more. I'll read just a little excerpt from it. Fifty years after the historic Kerner Commission identified white racism as a key cause of pervasive discrimination in employment, education, and housing, there has been no progress in how African Americans fare in comparison to whites when it comes to home ownership, unemployment, and incarceration – according to a report released Monday by the Economic Policy Institute. In some cases, get this, in some cases, African-Americans are worse off today than they were before the civil rights movement culminated in laws barring housing and voter discrimination, as well as racial segregation. Brett, did you have a chance to read this report? I read it, man. I read it. And you're right. It's sobering. It's
1: depressing almost, but uh, not not a surprise in many ways. I mean, it kind of puts words and quantitative data behind I, I think the sentiment and the feeling that a lot of us already had so yeah it's out there
0: right it, it, in some ways you're right in some ways it's a water is wet report right it's one of those things that says we already knew this you just put stats to what we know already you just you know cemented it based upon research but you know invariably when I post these things online when I talk to people about these types of articles, when I mention them to other Black people in particular and tell them to read the updated analysis, I get two responses. And I want to talk about these responses today. So the first response is, you know, a rightful lament and a bemoaning for the problematic ways that the American society has set up policy obstacles for people of color. So blocking us in various ways, setting up policies that were never intended to include us. But then I get this second response. And the second response really is, it's becoming more prevalent. It's something related to the idea that we as a community should look past the issues and the problems of racism, and we should focus on the problems that we have ourselves. So it's a very respectability message. What are we going to do for ourselves? When are we going to stand up for us? What are we going to do to address the problems that exist within our own community? And that response, that knee-jerk response is starting to frustrate me more than it did in previous years, uh, because I think it's linked to this this phenomenon, Jamar, called Black Excellence. Now, Jamar, you know about Black Excellence, right? <laughs> in you know about forms, black excellence. yes, sir. You a PhD. See, Jamar, see, Jamar knows about Black Excellence. This is why this is interesting because Jamar and I are different in a lot of ways, um, and in many ways we're the same, but we're different in the sense of Jamar is highly, highly educated. So Jamar has a degree from Notre Dame. He got an MDiv from Reformed Theological. He is currently getting his PhD at Ole Miss in history. So Jamar knows about Black excellence, probably a lot more than me in those ways, right? So Jamar, when you hear Black excellence, what you thinking about? I'm thinking about
1: William Edward Burkhardt Du Bois, Mm W.E.B. Du Bois and an essay he wrote uh, called Talented Tenth. Um, oh, boy. And so that's sort of that phrase, right? Like in, in the way um, Du Bois originally employed it sort of exemplifies uh, everything you're talking about as, as far as respectability and, and black excellence, right? So um, mm-hmm. Du Bois didn't come up with the term. He actually borrowed it or, or reappropriated it from northern white liberals uh, who used it in the in the 1890s. And then he was
0: problematic. Just just as a foundation, that's problematic. You already know. So we already got some problems there. Your,
1: uh, critical lenses on if you gonna borrow anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, but he basically said, you know, there there may be a tenth of the black race, as he put it, with um, sort of the raw talent. Uh, to To gain the kind of education and skills needed to lead the entire race in terms of social, political, and economic uplift and this is this this tenth of the race he called the talented tenth and mm. and and the context was he 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 was a huge advocate. Of classical education, of the humanities, of a liberal arts kind of education, of these Renaissance kind of men and women, and so he's he's talking about who's capable of having that kind of education, and it's the, in the context of Booker T. Washington, his speech at the Atlanta, um, in Atlanta, that they call the Atlanta Compromise, and and yeah. the idea yeah. that that Washington is promoting of this industrial kind of education. Which many people thought was to the exclusion of a more liberal arts-based education, and so Du Bois comes in and says, "No, we need to have um, these folks who who have this education, who have this capability, and they will sort of uh, uplift the whole race. They will lead the whole yeah, lift." Yes, <laughs> um, which which in and of itself has some things uh, it has some connotations associated to it, but but one. Quote from that essay is the Negro race, like all races, is going to be saved by its exceptional men. The problem of education then among Negroes must first of all deal with the talented tenth. It is the problem of developing the best of this race that they may guide the mass away from the contamination and death of the worst. Mm, so you can see, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs>
0: look, look, man, the, the
1: talented tenth is going to be the salvation. Of the rest. Now, later, it, 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 we have to be fair. Later in his career, Du Bois sort of he revised did. his thesis and 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 was much more along the lines of, um, you know, finding value sort of across the board. But as it was right. popularized, that was th- those were some of his his statements
0: around it. You know, so that's exactly what I thought about as well. Historically, now I can bring it a little bit current for the people who say I don't read Du Bois most of us listen to Jay-Z. And so it's interesting because (laughs) my favorite song from, you know, Kanye and Jay-Z did this joint album called Watch Your Throne. And I remember Mm. my favorite song of that entire album was a song called Murder to Excellence. And the song is beautifully produced. And the first part of the song is basically an ode to Chicago violence, right? Basically saying that, we are living in perilous times as it relates to violence within our own community. Now they transition. And the second part of the song is all about Jay-Z and it basically is the encompassing of his, the latter part of his career, which is all about black excellence, opulence, all these other things, basically saying we we're amazing. We're we're here. We got Lambos, we got this, we got Maybox, we got all this stuff. And so it's basically Jay-Z's ode to capitalism. Now, If you guys know, if you if you listen to four four four, Jay Z basically says the same thing in Family Feud with Beyonce when he's like, "What's better than one billionaire, two? Especially, especially if they're the same hue as you." Yep. Right. And so it's this whole idea of, of black capitalism and black achievement, and so black excellence for those who are kind of like, "Well, well, still like, what is it in a modern context?" In many ways, it's it's beautiful because black excellence as a hashtag, as a movement. It celebrates these achievements of our people in various areas of society as it relates to politics, music, the arts, fashion, sports, um, academic scholarship, and a host of other areas. So it's a good thing in some ways, but it post-Obama, the first Obama election in 2008 we had this surge of Black excellence where everyone wanted to talk about the best of the best and the creme de la creme and, and the elite within our race who's doing amazing things and, and sunning the majority culture. You know, but I've begun to think that Black excellence can actually be a double-edged sword. And I've actually begun to think, and I've trafficked in this myself, which I'll talk about later, but I've begun to think that Black excellence isn't a bad thing. But our fixation and our obsession with achievement within the Black community is actually unhealthy because any form of oppression dehumanizes you, but then it teaches you to dehumanize yourself. Mm. And I think what's, what's being taught, when we really don't understand it, is we're being taught to only care about the exceptional cases. Wow. We're being taught to only care about the top. We're being taught to only care about the creme de la creme, as we'll get into the perfect victims in the hashtags of police brutality. We're being taught to only care about the people who can be pushed forward. And that has historical roots. And I think that's problematic, Jamar. I think we're expecting some things of of a younger, newer generation as it relates to black excellence that are actually going to crush them. And it's rooted in actually bad theology that we'll get into. So, the idea though historically was that man, we have to be twice as good. Can you talk about this yeah. twice as good mentality because all of us heard it in some way shape or form growing up. You got to be right. twice as good in in, in your academics, you got to be twice as good in society. You got to make sure that you're the most respectable. Talk about where twice as good kind of came from and, and why it's It's a mixed bag. I'm
1: sure that phrase resonates with a lot of folks, a lot of people of color, particularly African-Americans. Like you said, we all probably heard it growing up. I didn't find out till later sort of the next part of that, which is you work twice as good for half as much. And I think... Come on, see brother. See that oftentimes that Washington Post report, w- which was reporting on a report, um, those statistics. You know, we we. It's not like we're not working hard. Um, I think uh, the latest data says black women are the most educated demographic in the country. Come on, uh, but we get Come no on. matter w- how hard we work, we still get less than um, white citizens in America. So, so yeah, but but that first part, w- y- you you got to be twice as good. And but I
0: think you know. <sighs> there's there's pushback feel free to push back if is, you think if i want to i want to really hear about pushback
1: it. but it's 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 just adding context right the nuance to it is the reason why we heard that was because as people of color we are constantly devalued by the broader society our intelligence is questioned our capability is questioned our achievement is questioned or overlooked or repressed for a long time we didn't even have the possibility of achieving in certain arenas of life and so it comes from, I think, the very realistic idea that if you want to get a share of what it means to be an American citizen, whether voting, property ownership, a good job, education, what have you, then you have to demonstrate that all those stereotypes are wrong. And to do that, you actually have to hustle harder. Because if you think of a race, and there's the starting line, our white brothers and sisters are at the actual starting line when we have been pushed Mm -hmm. back, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards. And then the start, the, 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 they said, Mark said, go. And meanwhile, our peers have a head start. So we have to actually hustle harder just to catch up to what they already had from the beginning. Right. So in that Mm -hmm. sense, you know, we have to almost demand excellence of each other as a mechanism for survival and flourishing because if not we we actually because of racism and white supremacy we don't have the luxury of being average because if we're average then we get way less we have opportun- we have far fewer opportunities than the average mm-hmm. white person now listening to this don't hear me say that white people don't struggle or um they're they're not talented and and aren't you know having their own um uh efforts rewarded or whatever but look we can be real we can acknowledge th- that report right in 50 years not only have we not made progress in some senses we've gone backwards but that is not due to a lack of effort that is due to the way our society is structured so to say black excellence mm-hmm and demand black excellence, is to say, look, here's the reality. The Kerner Commission reported on it 50 years ago. 50 years later, here we are. So what are we going to do about it? And part of part of the response, whether good or bad, and we can discuss that, is to demand black excellence.
0: Okay. So it's interesting that you bring that up because I was listening to some people talk about the Oscars. This is Oscars week when we're recording this. And obviously, you know that we have some of our best and brightest in the Academy who are nominated. Um, Last year, we saw nominations for Fences and Moonlight, of course, which took home the biggest prize of the night. Maheshala Ali, Viola Davis, Denzel Washington. And this week in the Oscars, they have Octavia Spencer and Jordan Peele and Daniel Kaluuya and Mary J. Blige and so many other amazing Black people from our community. And it was interesting because they were talking about some of the movies that were nominated And the people I was listening to, they were like, man, you know what? I want to get to the place where we get mediocre films nominated, (laughs) like the mediocre films we put out get nominated. Like, that's how we know. How do we know Oscar So White is done when when we get regular films just nominated? Like, there's some films that are nominated. I just sit back and listen to the premise. And I'm not saying that the craft isn't good. I'm not saying that they didn't do well. I'm just saying the premise is, is like, yo, this is mediocre. This is average. It's just a regular story. But because of the fact that it's people who come from a specific pedigree or they have a certain reputation, they're seen in a different light. And so even their mediocre work gets nominated for stuff, <laughs> right? And so it's just kind of funny because I think I think that's actually problematic because what we what we're asking young people to do is we're asking them to bear weight and burden for the sake of dignity. Now if we're asking them to bear weight and burden Because of history and legacy, Mm. that's different. But if we're asking them to bear weight and burden because of dignity to prove Mm. their worth to other people, that's, I mean, that to me seems like a a runway to nowhere. That to me seems like we're forcing them and we're holding the same standard that the majority culture holds upon us to our younger people, to the people who are coming up. And it's crushing them because these expectations don't come from a rooted identity. Now, I got to tell you because um, you guys know this. I'm a pastor. I work with young people. And the young people that I see every single week and every single day, I- I've been guilty of this, even on Pastor Mike. I've talked about young people who are high achievers. I've talked about young people who are getting full-rise scholarships. But we got some young people who got some issues. <laughs> and I don't like to talk about those people. You know, we, Whenever we're around other youth pastors, we're like, yeah, you know, but we got some young people, you know, they got, you know, they got some issues and they, you know, they were locked up, they in juvie, they do this, you know, yeah, yeah but you know, man, man, let me talk to you about X, Y, Z, young person, because, you know, they they got a, a scholarship Except to fam you, and they're doing this to Florida State. And but why? Because yeah. it looks good on me. It looks good on us. It looks good on our community of faith. But the kingdom is different. Like I come from a theological standpoint that everyone is created in the image of God, the Imago Day. And thus, God has conferred dignity upon us by our creation. And then if you go to Ephesians 2, if you look throughout the the New Testament as it relates to our salvation, our salvation was not worked for by ourselves. We come from that tradition that says God in his grace saves us, knowing that we all got issues, knowing that we all have problems, knowing that we all need mercy and a touch from him. And so the reality is it's kind of bad theology Mm -hmm for us to sit up here and tell people to use their performance to work for their (laughs) identity. It's bad theology for us to sit up here and tell people, Hey man, here's what you got to do. You got, you got to be a a 4.0 student. You got to take all AP classes. You got to go to college. Ain't no question. You got to go to college. Now, if you want to encourage people towards education, that's not a bad thing, but I'm saying, why are we forcing our young people and why are we forcing the people who are around us, our peers to hold up this unrealistic standard versus others. You know, so I think that's the tension part, right? That's the tension part is, I see what you're saying about us trying to make sure that, you know, we're credit to other people or we're credit to our race. But I think in some ways that's a runway to nowhere.
1: And I I think it's interesting because I think, um, you know, your experience with youth sort of brought clarity to this issue. And in a similar way, my experience with youth did as well. So I was a teacher and a principal, which we've talked about before on previous episodes. And so it was middle school, grades five, six, seven, eight, and, and we were college prep school specifically. So we're always pushing college and whatnot. And, and I ran into the same problems that you did because at the end of the day, when you really break down those messages, what you're saying is you are what you do, or you are what you achieve. And that is yes, anti-gospel. Exactly. Um, uh you are who Christ says you are. you are who God says you are in Genesis one, like you said, the image of God, you're made in His image and likeness. You are by faith adopted um into the household of God, and you're a son of the king or daughter of the king, and that's your identity, no matter what you achieve or don't achieve in this life and 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 on your way toward the American dream, the value of that is questionable anyway so um
0: <laughs> exactly so this is this is actually what I'm getting at Jamar because I think. If we're not careful, Black excellence can just become a contextualized version of the American dream. It can just become a contextualized version of American capitalism. And it's the problem I have with Jay-Z. It's a problem I have with some of these other things. And and I get it Like because originally I wasn't really rocking with the whole critique of Jay-Z and 444 because I was saying, man, of course he's going to encourage achievement. Of course he's going to encourage these things. And then we see the hilarious part because Jay-Z... Is telling people, you know, what's better than wasting money in a club, you know, credit, and then he's charging four hundred dollars a seat for his world tour, and so people are (laughs) like, "We're not going to buy it because credit, right?" I mean, (laughs) we just following your advice, Jay Z. Yeah, like how does this? You're you're lecturing us, but then you want us to continue funding your success. Like, how Mm. does this work? And it's just hilarious to me because Black Panther is Black excellence but somebody naming their kid Wakandria or T'Challa, we make fun of them. Like, why is that, bro? Like, why is it that we watch this, we enjoy it, and then someone names their kid after one of the characters, and then we laugh and making make fun of them on social media? Like, what is this? What in the self-hate is this? I'm like, come uh, on, bro. I'm, I see, because I think this is so problematic in the way that we're presenting and positing these, these ideas that once you once you rise up, you look down on the people who ain't risen where you are.
1: I just think it's funny they they name their child after somebody in a movie. That's all.
0: Bruh, look, man. Hey, <laughs> I named my child Trinity. And it was originally, it's funny because it was, uh, she was, her name was originally supposed to be Trinity Zion Burns, but it was actually Trinity Zora Burns. And I, the reason I didn't name her Zion is because my wife and I said that people are going to think we named her after the matrix. Like we were just watching Uh, the matrix uh, and we named her uh, after a place and a character in the matrix. Do what you do, do what you you do. But see that even that what's the pressure, the pressure is we don't want to be perceived as one of the underachievers in our community. We don't want to be the people who go to cosmetology school. We don't want to be the people that get our barber's license. We want to be the people that graduate summa and magna, from these top institutions. We want to be the people. And, and I'll tell you, man, I had I had one of my, my cousins, I was hanging with him um, last year, I think. And um, we hadn't really had a conversation in years. And he was talking about the fact that he goes to an HBCU. And he goes to an HBCU and he was talking about the HBCU in a way, and he was talking to someone else who, was, who wasn't going to an HBCU. And the way he was talking was almost condescending. Like, it was almost mm. like, man, why you ain't going to an HBCU? Like, why you mm. not going to my school? Why you not doing this? Why you not doing that? And it was almost like, yo, he's not less than because he doesn't attend your storied institution. If you like the fact that you've attended your storied institution, rock out with that. But don't <laughs> look down on people and tell them that they're less than because they didn't do the same thing. They don't have the same pedigree, you know? Well, yeah. So I think, you know, the way...
1: I try. I tried imperfectly to address this with my students. Was to emphasize two other aspects besides achievement. So, you know, the it's it's all a a question of tension and balance, right? It's not like you don't want to celebrate excellence or achievement. I mean, the solution is not. not Yeah. No. Definitely. You know. No. Somebody does something extraordinary. The solution is not just to ignore it because you think it's going to make somebody else feel bad or whatever, uh, or you think it emphasizes works. That's not what we're saying. Um, but at the same time, how do you, how do you not inadvertently convey the message that only people who achieve at these exceptional levels are worthy of recognition? So one of the things we tried to do was emphasize character, um, and and that's tricky because it can also get into a, a, a sort of works-based
0: righteousness kind of thing, Yeah, too, Pull that, your pants up and sit up know. and speak up and do, you know, I'm <laughs> just like, I mean, well, I'm, more, I'm, I, mean more, I want you I'm to do that, like, you know. Well,
1: yeah, definitely. You know, those sort of external aesthetic respectability aspects, too. I'm more talking about character, the kindness, the perseverance, the, you know, the humility or the gratitude that students explain. Um, You don't want to go too far because then then those things become a form of of works as well. But in emphasizing character, that makes the humble – that that lifts up the humble and that brings down the proud, right? So Mm -hmm. you can get Ds and Fs and still have stellar character that in a way counts far more than grades or certain forms of achievement. Or the opposite, you can be wealthy – uh, have a great job, uh, 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 a lot of, you know, power or whatever, but have no character. Yeah. And that's not admirable. And so one of the mm-hmm. things we did was try to say, well, there are other forms of excellence. There are other forms of achievement. There are other ways to demonstrate proficiency besides these, you know, sort of American dream, external kinds right. of ways Right. that has its limits. But the other thing we emphasized was growth, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, it was a big deal because many of our students came in reading below grade level. And sometimes, sometimes the kids would catch up in a year and and go even farther. But many times it took two, three, four years for people to get where they needed to be. And sometimes they still didn't get quote unquote on grade level. Right. But they did grow and there was progress. And so we celebrated progress. And I think if we think about those things, character, character, and growth, it helps to offset again, not perfectly, but it helps to offset some of this idea that that only overachievement is worthy of celebration.
0: Yeah, you know, this reminds me historically, it's uh, Women's History Month, and you know, we have we stand in in the places where women have died for us have blazed a path and a trail for us that men were too afraid to walk in. And for most people, we talk about respectable women, right? Like we talk about, there are hashtags of of women, whether it's Rakia Boyd or Sandra Bland or other women who didn't act quote unquote respectably, didn't Mm. act quote unquote in the perfect way that we don't talk about in the same way as Philando Castile and Mike Brown. Or Tamir Rice or Jordan Edwards or what have you. And, you know, it made me think about the historic instance of Rosa Parks, you know, and everyone talks about Rosa Parks as being this, you know, prototype for how you're supposed to carry yourself. And she was incredible. She was a lifelong committed activist. She didn't just get tired one day and sit on a bus, like, she was a lifelong committed activist and someone who protested in various ways. And Rosa Parks is talked about, but Claudette Colvin isn't. And Claudette Mm -hmm. Colvin was a young woman who sat on a bus in the whites only section prior to Rosa Parks, but she wasn't the perfect victim. She wasn't the perfect person to highlight the segregated cause. So much so that Claudette Colvin, she said, uh, at one point, she said, my mother told me to be quiet about what I did. She told me to let Rosa be the one. White people aren't going to bother Rosa. They like her. Like, so the reason why her own mother and the reason why the people around didn't uplift this black woman was because she didn't fit the bill. She didn't fit the mold. And I think in our in all of our achievement, especially as believers, in all of our achievement, in all of our striving for greatness in all of our push for Black excellence, we cannot convey the message that certain people are worthy of dignity and and other people aren't. We have to celebrate. I don't want to celebrate the Black excellence, quote unquote, less. I want to celebrate everyone more. And how do we do that? How do we celebrate everyone more? By celebrating the single mom we look down upon a single mom. We're like, ah, well, you should have done this. You should have been celebrating the single mom who's working two or three jobs to feed her family just as much as we celebrate the summa cum laude graduate from a from a major institution. Do we celebrate the people who are are, are just like you're saying, getting growth, getting their GED? Like, why don't we celebrate the people who are getting their GED just as much as we celebrate other people? Why don't we celebrate the people who have started their own business? And it's not multimillionaire, but but man, they just doing what they can do to advance the community, to advance their cause. And why don't we celebrate the people who are ex-cons, who have come out of jail, and who now are trying to better themselves, but because of the societal stigma, we want to say, ah, will you're part of these statistics. Just because you're part of a statistic doesn't mean you don't have dignity. It's bad theology, man. I've actually started writing this um article and it's always dangerous to write a, a, a you know to talk about an article you haven't fully written yet. But <laughs> um it's an article entitled In Defense of Black Failure. And it, it confronts this whole idea that we hold our breaths like we are are waiting with bated breath to to see a major movie or a major accomplishment from someone black. As if if they don't do that and accomplish it as if if black panther doesn't get x amount of millions of dollars as if you know this person doesn't win a championship or doesn't defeat you know uh, another person in their chosen field or doesn't have success that now that brings everyone down and i think that's a function and extension of white supremacy because it's mm-hmm. making us run our lives through the stereotypes and generalizations of other people who are never going to accept us whether we achieve or not mm, that's true that's true they ain't that's never going to like us if we win they don't like us if we lose they don't like us it doesn't matter so we should stop worrying about the approval of other people <laughs> oh, we I, should I, I we you. should we should we should lean into the acceptance of who we are and who and what our dignity is and who God has created us to be and that's my encouragement not to not to be less achieve uh, you know achievement oriented not to run away from black excellence, not to even downplay black excellence, but how do we how do we live lives that are free from societal expectations, which are really going to become nooses in the end
1: well it, it 's so nuanced right because you 're absolutely right and and I think fundamentally we 're talking about the way the kingdom of God works versus the way the the kingdom of humanity works, and um the kingdom of humanity is going to reward these sort of uh, fleeting, material, earthly types of achievement. And therefore, those who don't uh, uh, display themselves as successful in these certain prescribed ways, they are devalued, which, which is an affront to the image of God. And we're saying that the kingdom of God functions differently. The kingdom of God, to go back to the talented 10th idea, uh, would recognize the talent in all people, um, and it's not taking away from those who are more academically inclined and in the talents they may, may have. But it is adding to that the fact that people may be talented musicians, they may show genius in uh, human relations and relationships, they may show uh, excellence in um, the way they, they, they take care of others and serve or whatever it may be, Sort of, sort of the idea of spiritual gifts and what has God given you, and how do you steward those gifts well, not as a way of earning God's favor, but because you already have God's favor. So I think fundamentally that's what we're talking about, but on a more horizontal level, you know, black excellence is, is in a sense an issue of representation, right? Because when you've been told your whole life that because of your skin color or your culture or your language or your gender or what have you, uh, that you cannot Then when you see someone who looks like you or comes from where you come from, who can and who does, that says to me, well, I can do it too, right? So whether you're talking about the first black president and that barrier is broken, and I saw a photo of a little girl looking up – a little black girl looking up at – um the presidential the 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 White House portrait of Michelle Obama. Yeah, that's a beautiful photo, man. It was a beautiful photo because you get there a literal visual representation of a young black girl looking up to a black woman who made it to the White House. And now that's a possibility. Now now there's it's not just hypothetical. It's not just your parents saying you can do anything, blah, blah, blah. No, Michelle Obama was actually there for eight years alongside the first black president, right? Um mm. so there's something to that but but like we're saying that we can't use those moments or those occasions as additional weights and burdens to lay on people because that is a crushing weight of achievement and I'll tell you I think the reason we do it is because even as Christians fundamentally we believe we still believe we're sh- we're saved by our works I think mm, wow. I think we 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 functionally believe that it is what we do or don't do that earns us God's favor and salvation. And I know that firsthand because I can't stop working and trying to reach this or that goal. Um, I struggle with that. I know that firsthand because uh, there are so many people around me, both Christian and non-Christian who live in a similar way. And I think what we do is when we sort of function in that mode of achievement, we thrust those expectations on other people, whether those are Mm. our children, the people we work with, other Christians, the Mm. world, whatever it might be. So until we actually grab hold to the gospel that Jesus loves me, and it doesn't depend on what I've done, it depends on Hmm. what Christ has already done we're going to continue to struggle with this idea of black excellence.
0: Hmm. Man, that's really helpful. Yeah. My, you know, parting words, I guess, would be, you know, achieve, do what you can do, be the best that you can be. But just, man, don't talk about people you're not willing to reach down and help yourself. Hmm. Like if you're not, if you're talking about people that you're not reaching out to, if you're ragging on people on social media, if you're putting other people down, I mean, it's just ethnic elitism, man. And we don't want that. We want to celebrate everyone in the ways that that affirm their dignity. You know, John Perkins always says, you can't give someone dignity, you can only affirm it, mm. right? So how are we affirming the dignity of other people, regardless of if they're achievers or non-achievers, regardless of if they do amazing things or they do some things that we look back on and we say, man, I... I I wouldn't have done it like that. You know, I think we probably should have. There's a better way that you could have handled that situation. But regardless of what it may be, man, I, I just hope we don't we don't get addicted to black excellence because we're more complex than that. And and that's OK, because God can handle our humanity and he can handle our complexity, man. So I
1: mean, that's the mic and the witness is about freedom. It's about liberation, even if that means the freedom to fail occasionally. So,
0: yeah, man. That's what's up, man. We want to hear your thoughts, man. Be sure to reach out to us and, you know, keep doing your black excellence thing. Just make sure it doesn't consume you.